This is Beyond Reading the Bible, where we connect you with the living Word. Welcome to another episode of Beyond Reading the Bible. My name is Randy McCracken. And I'm Lindsay Kennedy. So Randy, in previous episodes we've talked about the literary features of the Bible. In this episode we're going to be talking about chiasms, or chiastic structures. Yeah, and when you hear a word like that, Lindsay, it can sound like, okay, this is really abstract or, or really heady intellectual kinds of stuff. And hopefully our listeners will be patient. We'll explain what it is, and then we'll jump right into some examples, uh, and hopefully people will see the value of it. Yeah, as is often the case with things like this, um, scholars, I suppose, it's scholars' responsible. They just come up with the most abstract name you could think of. Um, but at the heart of it, it's really not not that complicated. So um, it's definitely worthwhile learning. Why don't you begin by giving us a, um, some sort of definition of what a chiasm is or a chiastic structure? Yeah, sure. So basically what it is, is it's, it's one of the many tools that the biblical authors used to emphasize different points they're trying to make. Um, so, you know, in, in our modern time, we have different ways of, of making a point. Obviously, through speech, we can emphasize different syllables and raise our voice, lower our voice, and so on. With with written text, we've got bold, we've got italics, we've got paragraphs. You know, we've got all different kinds of markers for, for indicating different sections of text or different emphasis. But with with the Bible, they, they used something different. They used things like inclusios, and like this episode, they used chiasms. So all that to say, what a chiasm is, is it's a way of arranging words or ideas in such a way where you, where you end up with a mirror image effect. You have a parallel where you've got a series of ideas and then you have them repeated again um, in reverse order. Mm. So one really simple example uh, that might not sound too profound now, but once you get this, then you start to see how more profound it can become, which is when Jesus says the first shall be last and the last shall be first. That's an example of a chiastic arrangement where you have sort of a mirror image. You have first, last, and then the mirror is last, first. And that's also very memorable, isn't it, mm. Lindsay? And in an oral culture where people would be hearing Jesus teach this, uh, as you were saying, you know, they can't see quotation marks, they can't see periods, uh, they can't see some of the things that we would see in a literary text, but they could sure remember uh, a statement like that. Yeah, absolutely. Like you say, for an oral culture, it, it makes sense why you'd use things like that. I mean, it's, it's very memorable for us, even though the first should be last and the last should be first. Yeah, another great example of that, too, is uh, where Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, mm. not man for the Sabbath. Yeah. And so on both ends of that sentence, you have the word Sabbath, and in the middle, you have the word man. Mm. So Sabbath, man, man, Sabbath. Right, yeah. So that's, that's a perfect example of a, of a chiasm where you have parallel words. So as you pointed out, with both of these, you have the words being repeated in mirror image. But you can also have parallel ideas where it doesn't necessarily have to be the same word that's being repeated, but the idea is being repeated. So... Yeah. If I were to come up with my own verse, you know, verse of my own making, which I don't generally do, <laughs> this is just for the sake of example. You're not changing the word on yeah. um, One would be, if, if you're to change Jesus' words, you could say, the first shall be last, and the least shall be the greatest. 
Now that's not a chiasm of words, but it certainly is a chiasm of ideas, where you have the first and the greatest being parallel, and the last and the least. You know, or you could say the first should be last, and the the lowest will be the highest. Again, it's the same. It's a parallel of ideas rather than words, but it's still a chiastic structure. And harking back to that earlier episode of ours on inclusios, uh, I noticed that when you have a chiastic structure, uh, I would imagine a hundred percent of the time you're going to have an inclusio because it's going to begin and end. Um, with a similar, either a similar expression or, like you're saying, a similar idea. Yes, that's a great point about inclusios because really a chiasm does start and end in an inclusio. And what makes it different is that it has additional parallel items in between the inclusio, the, the framing, really. It's like you've got matching items in between. And hopefully people now are beginning to catch on what we mean by a chiasm or a chiastic structure, Lindsay. But uh, another way to approach this would be to talk about a palindrome, if anyone happens to know what a palindrome is. It's a, a single word where the same letters spell the same thing forwards or backwards. So you can have a name like Hannah and it's spelled the same way forwards as it is backwards, or you could have a word like race car, where, again, it's spelled the same way forwards as it is backwards. And the difference with the chiastic structure is we're not just talking about words that can go forward or backwards, but we're talking about either entire sentences or paragraphs or, in some cases, a, a whole book. So with, with a chiasm, I mean, I mentioned earlier that people come up with these strange names, but really it does make sense why it's called a chiasm, is it's, it's built on the, the Greek letter chi or ki, it's probably the more correct pronunciation. It's the letter that looks like Rx, right? it looks a lot like the X, and it's really the, it's the first letter of the name Christos, Christ. So if you've ever seen that written down, you, you probably know what I'm referring to. And the reason why they use this is because, well, an X is a mirror image of itself if you were to draw a line down the middle. And often when the chiasm is laid out visually, it'll be laid out as if it was in sort of an X shape. And um, a lot of scholars, to simplify things these days, will use letters. They'll use a structure like an ABBA structure or an ABCBA structure. And mm -hmm. that kind of gives you a mental picture of uh, getting into the chiasm and then backing out of it. And in many cases, uh, the chiasm will have a center point, as in an ABCBA type of structure. Now, we're not going to get real technical, Lindsay. There are, there are scholars who would differentiate different kinds of structures. Certain ones they'd call an envelope structure. Others they'd call a chiastic structure. Others they'd call a concentric structure. But we're going to call them all chiasms because that's kind of the general term. And uh, we'll use that to refer to uh, whether it's an ABBA or an ABCBA or whatever the pattern is. We're just going to call it a chiasm. More than any other episode probably is a, this one is one where we wish we could have visuals. But using the example earlier, the first shall be last and the last shall be first, this would have an ABBA pattern. The first being the A and the last being the B. So first, last, last, first, ABBA. As you mentioned, Randy, with an ABCBA pattern, it would be doing the same thing, but that central one is not going to be repeated. It's, it's not actually part of the mirror mm -hmm. image. 
And we'll, we'll show some examples of that and, and talk about the significance of that as we go through the episode. So what do chiasms do? I mean, we said you've got the first should be last, last should be first, but there's also different things that can be accomplished through a chiasm. Sometimes you can have progression so that the second half actually moves the idea forward. Right? The mirror image doesn't just repeat it, but actually moves it forward. Then other times you can have contrast where the second half is actually standing in opposition to the first. Do you want to explain that a little bit more? It might be similar to some of the proverbs that they make a positive statement and then they turn around and uh, they say just the opposite in a negative format. And um, we can have examples in scripture, for instance, of, of stories uh, that begin in a certain way and end uh, in another way. Maybe they begin positively and end negatively, or maybe they begin negatively and end positively. Uh, and usually there's a midpoint in the story that is the center of the chiasm uh, that re causes that thing to reverse, whether it's from good to evil or evil to good. And one example of that is, is in Genesis chapters 2 and 3, the story of Adam and Eve in the garden and the first sin. Uh, it starts off very idyllic with the creation of Adam, uh, the animals, and the creation of Eve. Um, there's a perfect relationship with God. Everything's going well. And then the serpent enters the scene and tempts them. Uh, and then we get to the center of the chiasm where the sin occurs. And then following the sin, we see all of these same ideas and themes, but they are in reverse order now, and things have turned negative because evil has entered the world. And I'll put uh, some uh, examples up on the website, Lindsay, of the chiastic structure of Genesis 2 and 3. Uh, actually, scholars don't 100% agree how to divide it up, but it is pretty clear that that there's a chiasm at work there, and it's an example of, of uh, how a chiasm can emphasize this contrast. Sure. And to give an example of progression, uh, by the way, careful listeners will notice that we just did this in chiastic order, <laughs> unintentionally. <laughs> but uh, to give All an example... planned, of course. Yeah. <laughs> to give an example of progression, uh, I used the example, actually, of this the other night in a class. It's almost like when you look in a mirror in a, in a clothing store and, and the clothes look better on you using that mirror than they do actually in reality. They must use some sort of mirror that makes you look better in the store. But it's a bit like that where the, the mirror image moves the story forward or moves the idea forward or develops it. It's not just simple repetition, but actually there's some sort of progression. One example of this would be in chapters 5 through 8 of Romans. I think that this has a chiastic structure and actually follows the, the chapters neatly. So you've got 5 matching 8 and then 6 matching 7. So this would be sort of an A, B, B, A pattern. And what you have in chapter 5 is repeated with some development in chapter 8. So chapter 5 really introduces several themes of Adam and creation and freedom and all these ideas. And then chapter 8 really develops it even more by, by paralleling it with creation and the spirit and the renewal of all things. So there's a bit of a development there as well as repetition. Right. And one, one good way of, of uh, also showing that, Lindsay, is the theme of suffering and hope that Paul introduces at the beginning of chapter 5, but he spends a lot more time on it in chapter 8. 
So why, why would people even use a chiasm? So what's trying to be accomplished here? Other than it being a clever way of presenting information, what would the author be trying to accomplish by using a chiastic structure? Right. Yeah, I think, I think there are a number of other reasons that we could mention, Lindsay. And uh, some people might think this to be the least one, but it's also an important one, and that's the literary artistry of the Scripture itself. Uh, God is an artist, and God is an effective communicator, and he communicates in beautiful ways. And uh, the chiastic structures, the inclusios, these kinds of things are one uh, avenue in which he seeks to communicate his word to human beings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really important. It's worth noticing that. And also, I think it, it even adds to the, the notion of ever being inspired by God, when you see just the, the absolute depth and detail that can be discovered through more and more study. I think it really reveals that this is more than just a human book. Yeah, I agree with you. The book of Genesis is a great example of that. It's really full of these chiastic structures. And when I show this to my students, they're really blown away. And, you know, it's easy to think of some of these stories in Genesis as being simply Sunday school stories, but they're actually quite sophisticated. They, they teach great truths and they do it in a very uh, artistic way using chiasm quite frequently. Yeah. So another thing that I think the author would be trying to communicate would be it's a, it's a smart or unique or creative way of drawing attention to what you find on the, in the very center of the chiasm and on the very edges of the chiasm. Mm. This has been my own experience. I mean, obviously there's going to be more going on here than, than simply this, but I find that when you have a chiastic structure, so often the outer elements, the A elements, and then the very center element, often those are the most important points. That's right. And another uh, important element in the chiastic structure is repetition. You know, we always say, or we've heard it said, that repetition is the first law of learning. So when you have a chiastic structure, you're hearing things repeated, perhaps in reverse order, but you're hearing them again. So it's driving the point home. Okay, Lindsay, so uh, we've probably reached a point where our listeners are saying, okay, you've described the meal, now I'm ready to eat. So uh, let's start by giving off uh, some examples, uh, some concrete uh, examples of what a chiasm is. Yeah, sure. So what I, what I think would be helpful is if, if we look at some different types of chiasms. And so we're going to start with some that are very small scale, you know, within a few verses. And, but you can also get into larger scale that cover several chapters, as I mentioned, the one of the Romans 5 through 8. And then we're even going to give some examples of entire books that could be arranged in a chiastic structure. So the first one that I'll, I'll give is the is a passage in Isaiah. This is a very familiar one to people. In Isaiah 52, verse 13, all the way through 53, verse 12. It's arranged through our verse orders in a very easy way to understand as well, where we have... We have it in five stanzas, so five units of three verses each. And most Bibles should reflect this. So you've got three verses, and then a new section, three verses, and a new section, three verses. And so that already is nice and easy to, to break down. But what you find when you, when you arrange these, not only does it have a nice and easy, clear structure like this, but it actually is arranged in a chiastic order. The first section, which is Isaiah 52, verse 13 through 15, matches with Isaiah 53, verse 10 through 12. And 
what those verses do, the ones that I just mentioned, the, the sort of the A section on both ends of the mirror, they talk about the servant being lifted up, exalted, and what he'll accomplish. Right? It actually starts on a very high note. And then it also ends on a high note as well because it says he'll divide the portion with the many and he'll see and be satisfied with what he does. Many will be accounted righteous through this. So there's sort of a beginning and ending on a high note that, that match in a lot of details. And then moving in towards the middle, 53 verse 1 through 3 and then 53 verse 7 through 9, they both are parallel because they're not describing the high status, they're now suddenly describing the suffering. They're describing the, the turmoil that the, the servant is going through. And then if you move in again, so from the A to the B to the C, this one has an ABC structure where the middle doesn't really match the outer elements. And so there's three verses right in the middle. What this does is it does describe the suffering of the servant, but actually spends far more attention on why he suffered. So it says, surely he has borne our griefs. So suddenly it's not saying he was oppressed and was afflicted, that he opened not his mouth. Those are describing the suffering, but these verses four through six are saying he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. He was smitten by God, afflicted. He has pierced for our transgressions. So there's a real focus there on why he suffered. If you didn't have these verses, you might be left thinking he suffered for his own sin or he suffered because he was someone who was worthy of being despised. But by following this caustic order, you can really see that the heart of this passage is why he suffered. And the framing of it, the, the outer elements, is saying that he will be victorious and God will be pleased with what he has done. That's a good example, Lindsay, of just what we've been talking about and how understanding and recognizing these chiasms can really help us to get at the message of the passage. So really appreciate, uh, really appreciate that. I'm going to share one from uh, Genesis chapter 11, real familiar one, verses 1 through 9, story of the Tower of Babel. God had commanded mankind to be fruitful and multiply and spread over the face of the earth. But uh, we're told in chapter 11 that the uh, people came to the land of Shinar and they decided to build a tower. They didn't want to spread over the face of the earth and they wanted to make a name for themselves. Um, when you look at the structure of verses 1 through 9, it falls out very neatly into one of these chiastic patterns. Now, this one's a little bit more involved. Um, what the pattern that we have is actually an A, B, C, D, E pattern with a middle section that can either be marked as an F or some scholars will use an X. And then you back out of the chiasm with an E, D, C, B, A. Um, so I'll, I'll share with our listeners um, some examples of this. For instance, the story begins by mentioning that the whole earth had one language. And it ends with uh, speaking about the fact that the people uh, are now talking in different languages and that they are scattered over the whole earth. So that catchphrase, whole earth, occurs at the very beginning of the story and the end of the story. And we'll notice, too, that what we have here in the chiasm is it's presenting a contrast because in the beginning of the story, uh, the people are all speaking the same language, but by the end of the story, they're not. And so one of the questions is, what is it that reverses uh, 
that, that changes this story. And we'll get to that in a moment. Um, it talks about uh, in, in the B section, verse 2, the people dwell there, talking about the land of Shinar and the word there in Hebrew. Uh, the, the final B section is in verse 8, and it talks about how the people are scattered from there. And once again, we have this contrast between them dwelling together and now being scattered. And the word there is repeated in, in both places. The C sections um, in verse 4 were told, and this is 4a, so the first part of the verse, uh, that they said to one another. And, and the Hebrew has a particular idiom that goes like this, and a man said to his neighbor. This same idiom is found in the in the other C section at the end of the story in verse 7, uh, the B section, uh, where it says that they could not understand each other. And it says a man and his neighbor could not understand each other. Uh, the D sections uh, are commands, or I'm sorry, not commands really, but uh, invitations. Come, let us build, the people of Babel say in, in verse 4 in the B section. Uh, whereas God says, in seven, uh, the A section, come now, let us confuse. So we have God sort of mimicking the language of the people of the Tower of Babel. They say, come, let us build. He says, come now, let us confuse. Um, the E sections. so we're, we're getting close to the center now. The E section is in 4C and also in 5B. And both of these sections mention the city and the tower that's being built. And then the middle of the chiasm is verse 5, the A section, where it says, but the Lord came down. And it's at this point in the story when the Lord comes down right in the center of this chiasm that everything now begins to reverse itself. And so it shows God's power. It shows the judgment that falls on the people of Babel here. Yeah, that's a great example, Randy. My example was more chiasm of ideas, while yours was very strongly mirroring the same words in Hebrew. Well, Lindsay, uh, we've looked at some short examples here, uh, but we've also got some examples of longer chiastic structures. Yeah, so I'll give one from the book of Daniel. There's a chiasm that runs over chapters 2 through 7. First of all, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, has a dream, the image, the statue, representing four kingdoms that, that are followed by the kingdom of God, which is the stone. That matches chapter 7, where Daniel has a vision of four beasts, followed by one that's like a son of man. So again, the four beasts represent four kingdoms, followed by the kingdom of God. So that's the A section. Then you move in, you have the fiery furnace in the B section, chapter 3. And that matches Daniel being in the lion's den in the B section of chapter 6. So again, you have this persecution of God's people in these sections. The very center point is chapter 4 and 5, which both tell stories of a king being humbled and, a, and God of Israel being glorified. Nebuchadnezzar being humbled through. And then you have chapter 5 with Belshazzar and the, the writing on the wall. And I think that theologically you have this story being told in such a way to show that there are going to be these four kingdoms and the kingdom of God Despite the fact that these kingdoms will have authority over the earth, they may be persecuting God's people, but God will preserve his people through that. You see that in the B sections. And then the middle section 
that God will be glorified and the kings of the earth will be humbled. These are kings who are ruling over these four nations being told about here, and yet they are humbled in the end and God is glorified. There's a theological message just in the structure of these sections in Daniel. That's great, and it's really a, a good way of, of looking at the book of Daniel. Sometimes we just read li- linearly, don't we? Mm-hmm. Chapter 1, chapter 2, and so on, all the way through the book. And uh, when we can stop and, and recognize these chiastic structures, we can see some of the themes that are being focused on and how they're being repeated and, and emphasized, mm-hmm. as you're saying. So that's a really good one. That that can give someone a very fresh way of reading the book of Daniel if they've never seen yeah. it before. I think you've got one for us as well, Randy, don't you? Yeah, I'm going to go back to the book of Genesis again, Lindsay. Sorry to our listeners for another Old (laughs) Testament example. There really are some in the New. (laughs) We did mention Romans uh, 5 Mm. through 8 as one example, and we're going to put some others up on the website. Uh, But as far as Genesis uh, chapters 6 through 8, which is the account of the flood, and the account of the flood is a beautiful chiasm. Uh, I'm not going to go into all of the various parts of it because it's actually an A, B, C, D, E, F with a center mark. Yeah, it's an very X. detailed, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, F, E, D, C, B, A all the way out. But uh, I, I will put that up on the website for mm. our uh, listeners to view. But what I do want to point out also is we not only have uh, this chiasm uh, through words and ideas, but we actually also have it reflected in the numbers that are used in the story of the flood. And that's what mm. I'm going to focus on. And, and I'll put this one up as well. Uh, in chapter 7, verse 4, we're told that uh, there were seven days of waiting for the flood. And then in chapter 7, verse 10, we're told seven more days of waiting mm. for the flood. So we've got the number seven twice at the beginning of the flood story. If we move to the end of the flood story in chapter 8, verse 12, we're told that Noah waited seven more days before he came out of the ark. Also in chapter 8 and verse 10, there is a seven-day waiting period. So in each case, both at the beginning and end of the flood story, we have the number seven repeated twice, and we're told that Noah waited. Um, the, uh, the next section would be with the number 40, where in chapter 7, verse 17, we're told that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. The expression everyone thinks of mm-hmm. when we talk about the flood story. Uh, if we then look at chapter 8 and verse 6, there we're told that uh, there was a waiting period of 40 days. Right in the middle of the flood story, we have the number 150 or 150. And in chapter 7, verse 24, we're told that there were 150 days of the water triumphing. Mm. And then in chapter 8 and verse 3, we're told there were 100 days of the water uh, diminishing from Mm. the earth. So if you look at that chiastic structure... What you have is the number seven occurring twice Mm. at the beginning, twice at the end, Mm. followed by the number 40, and right in the center of the story, the number 150 uh, occurring twice. Now, the the heart of the flood story, the center of it, uh, verbally speaking, is in um, Genesis chapter 8 and verse 1, where we find the statement, and God remembered Noah. 
Yeah. And once again, this chiasm yeah. is one of contrast. Mm. It starts off with a horrible situation. The world is being destroyed. But when it moves to the center of the chiasm and we're told, and God remembered Noah, mm. all of a sudden things begin to change. Mm. And a new creation is uh, told about mm. in the rest of chapter 8 until Noah disembarks from the ark. Wow. That, yeah, that's that's kind of the ultimate chiasm, isn't it? <laughs> that one in yeah. about the flood. It's also it's like you, it's one that you definitely can't deny, and it's just so beautifully done. And with the heart of it being the Lord remembered Noah, that's just you can't really beat that, can you? Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like we were saying uh, when you recognize these things, you you not only learn some of the theological truths, but you begin to see the incredible artistic beauty with which scripture is written. Uh, if you've gone to Sunday school since you were a kid, you know the story of Noah and the flood, but you don't know how sophisticated it really is yeah. uh, until you start looking more deeply into it and seeing things like this. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. So really, so many things can take on a new light with this. So I just wanted to give um, one final example, which is how you could even have a chiasm running across an entire book. The entire book of Leviticus could be seen as a chiasm. And this is found really through three ideas being repeated and then a central one, A, B, C, D structure here. Through chapters one through seven, you have all the sacrifices and offerings, chapters one through seven. And then really in chapters 23 through 27, you have again rituals, you have the feast days and Again, it's a parallel of ideas. It's not a strict, perfect parallel, but you have rituals. Moving in one, priesthood. So chapters 8 through 10, the beginning of the priesthood. And then chapters 21 and 22, the moral requirements of the priests. And then the third one is purity. And that's found in chapters 11 through 15 and 17 through 20. And then right, stuck right in the middle, is the Day of Atonement in chapter 16. And that really shows you that because the Day of Atonement you know, is the very heart of Leviticus. And, of course, the Torah is five books. And so which is the central book of, of the Torah? Well, it's Leviticus. So really, you could even argue that the center of the Torah is the Day of Atonement. That's great, Lindsay. And there are some scholars that would argue that the entire Pentateuch is a sort of chiasm with Leviticus, as you're saying, obviously being in the center, and the Day of Atonement being in the center of the book of Leviticus. That's really a great thought. Okay, so we've given our listeners uh, some examples. How do they spot them for themselves, Lindsay? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, everything that we said about inclusios could apply here, since a chiasm really begins and ends in an inclusio. One of the suggestions I would make for our listeners, if, if they've never tried spotting chiasms, is try to start off uh, looking for smaller ones, like the ones we began the episode with, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Uh, you can find them within single, single sentences sometimes and then sort of expand from there. Or if you're reading something and it really looks like it's at the heart of a, of a narrative, for instance, or at the heart of a psalm, then start looking around that center and see if there are parallel ideas on each side. And by doing that, you may discover, well, uh, we have a chiasm here. I think also that the more complicated a chiasm is, there's a good chance that it's easier to tell if it's correct or not. That, again, that, you could have examples of that not being the case, but I think that the more intricate something is, the more 
convincing you should it should be for you to actually believe it. So yeah. I've found some chiasms out there where it, they're really having to fudge things to make it work. And I'm starting to think, okay, this is really not, I don't think this is likely. I don't think, because the, the question again is, is the author intending this? This is not just, can we find one here? But it's also, would the author really be doing this? And a lot of the ones that I've found that are a little bit more shady uh, would just be that I don't think that the author's really trying to create one here. I think this is, we, well, we could make a chiasm if we change these little things around here or there. Exactly. Yeah, so good, Lindsay. I, I want to recommend one book to our readers. Um, it's called The Literary Structure of the Old Testament, a commentary on Genesis through Malachi by a fellow by the name of David A. Dorsey. Um, and I've, I've looked through this book, and it's a good book. It, if, if you're still struggling with, well, how do I find literary structures? Uh, this would get you started on it. Now, a uh, word of caution, uh, David Dorsey does tend to find either a chiasm or some type of parallel structure in just about every verse mm -hmm. of the Bible <laughs> in every book. And maybe that's overdoing it a little bit. I don't know. Another way that you could find a, a chiasm is th really through repeated words. And so we can find this in English, but it's even better if we can find the words being repeated in Hebrew or Greek, whichever testament we're reading. I think that makes them far more certain if you've got repeated words, especially in the original language. Well, Lindsay, uh, you and I used to be pals in York, but now we are oceans apart as you have moved to the States, in case our listeners weren't aware of that. And um, it's been a little challenging uh, getting our episodes together, but we hope to uh, have much more regular communication and be posting episodes more regularly. Just want to say thank you to our listeners for tuning in, and we look forward to seeing you next time on Beyond Reading the Bible.